Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. Hello. So, hello, everybody. Today, we're talking to Carl Barnett, who's the VP of Human Resources at A&E Networks. Hello there, Carl. Hi, Karen. Um, so, tell us a little bit more about yourself first. Sure. So, um, I'm uh, HR Director of A&E Networks. Um, I've pretty much always worked in HR. Um, started my career uh, with Marks & Spencers, did the graduate training programme. Um, moved from Marks and Spencers to Channel Four. Um, as a as a university student, I'd worked as a runner in Soho in the post production houses, and so always had a bit of a an eye on the media industry. And opportunity came at Channel Four, and uh, and that was for me where I, f I feel like my my career really got going. Mm -hmm. um, I love the industry, and I love working in TV and broadcasting. I spent around five years at Channel Four. Um, after that, I went to Nickelodeon, the kids brand, yeah. um, where I was uh, VP for HR, uh, my first sort of leadership role in, in HR at Nickelodeon. About three years later, I moved to the BBC, was lucky enough to work in all the different output areas of the BBC, so TV, radio, online, uh, as well as the news division, which was my last role where I was the HR director. Um, across uh, all of the BBC news output, so around uh, 8,500 journalists and about 1,500 radio producers. Um, uh, at the, after five years at the BBC, I wanted to really um, roll my sleeves up again and, uh, and, and take on uh, a, a new challenge in a back in the commercial environment. And so A&E Networks uh, uh, were developing a new role and uh, I got in conversation with A&E Networks and, uh, and joined coming up for ju uh, ju actually just over four years ago now. Okay. And so what do A&E Networks actually do? So A&E Networks uh, in the US is a, a quite a, a, a one of the bigger broadcasting networks. Um, uh, numerous channels. Um, I'm responsible for any networks for EMEA. Um, we have around about five or six brands across all of EMEA, um, and we, which includes History, which is our flagship brand, um, as well as Crime and Investigation, Lifetime, uh, H2. Um, we are we f across our EMEA patch. We have. Four offices, uh, and uh, we are we're um, distributed across uh, around about 70, 80 different countries across EMEA. Great. So I remember reading that you'd won um, an award. It was the best place to work in TV That's back right. in 2018. So why do you think you got that award? Um, bribery. Yeah. No, uh, we so that was the broadcast television uh, award. So broadcast is an industry magazine. Um, so it's very specific to our industry. So there's a bit of a story behind that. It wasn't actually my idea to to enter that. Broadcast magazine is an industry magazine, um, well known and well read within the industry. 
but beyond that, uh, it was quite quite niche. And so I, my my view was that we probably shouldn't enter that. If we were going to enter a, a, a best place to work type uh, survey, then it should be the Times or one of those uh, one of those more uh, more well known ones. Um, but more more than anything, I didn't feel we were ready. And I kind of cited all the different things that we still needed to work on. And no, 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 we're definitely not ready. Um, luckily, my uh, our head of press and my colleague in creative completely ignored my advice mm -hmm. and took it to our boss anyway, our MD. Um, and we had a discussion. And again, I said, yeah, I just didn't really think we were ready. And uh, he also f uh, ignored my advice and said, no, of course, of course, you're underestimating what we've done already. And uh, and so we we entered and uh, and we did really well. We won, and so I, it was kind of one of those win-win situations where if we hadn't have done well, I'd have said we weren't ready as yeah. as discussed. But we did do well, so now I claim it as my own idea. Your idea. We the good thing about the the uh, the entry was that it was sort of made up of two halves, and and the first half being almost entirely based on the feedback from from our from our staff from our workforce. Big questionnaire quite a detailed questionnaire asking all sorts of areas but particularly around diversity and engagement and um, and so I think there was a, a high degree of pride amongst the, amongst the whole team that we had done so well because so much of it had been based on what our own employees had said. The other half was a, it was an, a, a submission that we had to pull together um, where we talked about some of those initiatives but um, we were delighted, and uh, and it had been. It was definitely something that we needed to do to raise the profile of um, of the company um, as as an employer of choice. A and E isn't a consumer brand, and so not necessarily a company that people automatically have heard of. But this certainly within our industry uh, went some way to raising our profile. So we were we were really pleased. Great. I'm going to talk about some of the th reasons that I'm guessing that you won that award. So I know that purpose is one of the main drivers of your culture. Can you tell us a bit about this? Yeah, sure. Some time back, we um, we were sort of a couple of years back. We were we were being challenged by some of the senior managers in our company to to really try and uh, how do we articulate what we were about. We were doing well. We our performance was 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 good, but I think people felt we didn't have enough clarity about what was the longer term vision. And so we pulled together as as a company, and uh, and I say as a company because it was everyone uh, across the company contributed in some way or another. We did some surveys and we are, did some focus groups before developing a, a a vision a sort of lasting vision the the what the what are we about and and that in essence was uh, to be famous for creating and sharing stories that mattered and so we felt that that the importance of telling stories has been around as as, as long as man itself and and that vision quite powerfully encapsulated uh, how important it was for us to be renowned for that. So that was our last, our, our sort of vision. Um, our purpose, the, the, the why, if you like, why were we getting up in the morning and coming to work, was, f as we described it, so that our stories can help people, help our audiences to enjoy and understand the world that we live in. And finally, the mission, to sort of follow in that textbook approach, but the mission was was how do we achieve all of that? And and our mission is to be a diverse, purposeful, talent-led company that leads change and grows value. And 
whilst being diverse and and talent led are, are are really important elements of that. It was that really meant we all know what diversity means, but being talent led was about being really focused on our people and being focused on all of our people. So that's where sort of diversity came into that uh, yeah. into that uh, vision, purpose, and mission. So now on to kind of how do you find people to work here? Because I'm guessing that because you're not as well known as some of the bigger brands that you've even worked for. How do you attract people to come and work for you? Yeah, sure. It's, um, I mean, it, we do have to work harder. There's no doubt about it. We do have to work harder, but um, we, I think we surprise ourselves actually with the, the, the caliber of talent that we attract. And I think we try to use a, as much as possible that p a personal touch, particularly easier when we're talking about senior roles. We're looking at smaller pool and so that we can use our networks and, and people that we know. But we have some of the obvious things. We use employee, employee referrals. Mm -hmm. um, networking is important. So for example, at Edinburgh last year, we sponsored the, the opening drinks night at, at Edinburgh. So again, just raising that profile within that, that community of people that we're, who we're looking to, to work with. Usual routes, we use job boards. We have a, um, we've recent, fairly recently uh, introduced um, a career portal um, and an ATS system, which just helps make it all far more efficient and make certain we're not losing CVs as, as we meet people. Um, and we use, um, we use search firms um, for those difficult roles mm -hmm. from time to time. And do your hiring managers take responsibility for recruitment? Do they see that as a key part of their role? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're tiny here. We're, you know, we're uh, under a couple hundred people, uh, just under a couple hundred people in London. Um, and so there isn't a big recruitment team to support. And so managers are well aware that um, it's their it's the most important thing they do, right? If yeah. you hire good people, then um, the rest comes naturally. So, and, and I think our managers really get that. That's it's good. it's important to take the time, put the effort in upfront to work on the, some of the slightly boring things like getting a really good solid job description together, really being clear on what the responsibilities are, spend time working on that and how that will fit in with the rest of the organization. So that then once you're meeting the candidates, it flows well. Great. So tell me about your people goal. Yeah, sure. So as we've described already, we, we developed our vision, our purpose and our mission. And that's all well and good. But sometimes, you know, that's kind of words and, and trying to bring that to life. We'd, we'd engaged the, the entire workforce in creating it and we'd presenting it at company meeting and we developed a bit of a cascade through departments and pulled together a bit of a toolkit to help them work, help each department work through what that, what that vision, purpose and, and mission meant to each department. But it still needed to be more tangible. And so the next step beyond that was to, to develop what we, we call is just three company goals, our, our big goals, if you like. And those three goals are one, drive profitability. We're a commercial organisation. Our yeah. shareholders are very interested in all the lovely mm -hmm. things we do, but it's uh, also very much about profitability at the end of the day. Our second goal is attract, engage and retain viewers everywhere. So our, about our audiences and, and also the platforms on which we reach our audiences. And then the third goal was to innovate and adapt to the changing world. And this is where we felt that our, our, our people goal really sat. Uh, because... Actually, um, you know, we can talk about 
all all sorts of aspects of, of, of the workforce and, and people and why it's important to have the best talent. But if you think about it in terms of innovation and adapting to the constant stream of change that this industry in particular, well, probably like all industries, but we feel like there's so much change in this industry, then what we really want our, t our people to do is to be able to innovate and adapt. We want them to be resilient, we want them to embrace change, and so that's the goal, that, that is our people goal. And we cascade that through, uh, through a number of measures and we, we on, a, on a quarterly basis, share those metrics uh, with the entire company. And so diversity sits perfectly well within innovate and adapt. We will only be able to innovate and adapt if we're re representing all parts of our audience. Mm -hmm. And if we want to represent all parts of our audience, then that needs to be reflected within our organization. So that's where we, where we measure our di diversity and, uh, and other elements. I'm interested to understand then, because um, obviously you're talking a lot about kind of how you bring those people goals to life in everything that you do. What about performance management? Does that kind of follow through with your approach to performance management? I think performance management has really sat within our our desire to develop a culture of learning. Mm. So if you if if we're really serious about performance management, then what we mean there is just about getting the very best from all of our people. And so, of course, there's times where there's the tough end of that, where we need to manage manage underperformance. But we're lucky in the, in this industry that that tends to be the exception rather than the rule. Um, it's not like you're working in retail where you've got you know, high numbers of, of, of short sh temporary staff where mm. you've got those sort of retention and, uh, and morale issues. We're, we're blessed with a workforce who are passionate about what, what they do and their roles. And so really it's about trying to just channel that and corral that and get the very best from people. And so we have we developed a substantial learning offer um, that kind of centers around, as I've said already, the cult a culture of learning, but in particular around coaching. And so trying to be much more about empowering people to get the, to make the best of themselves rather than trying to tell people how they should perform. Yeah. And so we've done that through, through some of the more traditional methods of one-to-one of, um, of -one coaching and executive coaching but also through the use of our, uh, our performance tool, OpenBlend. OpenBlend is a, an online tool. Um, it encourages the very best of conversations, one-to-one -one conversations between a manage, manager and the, their talent. It looks at the whole person, so rather than just thinking about that work and life balance, that seems to be a bit of a nonsense. If you're unhappy at home, you're probably gonna be unhappy at work and vice versa. And so it really looks at the whole person. And using the GROW model um, tries to take people on a bit of a path to improvement. And, uh, and we've had great success with Open Blend. I'm a big fan. Sounds good. So then leadership. So what's your kind of view on how you kind of get your leaders to, to kind of help you deliver on your purpose? I think it's, it starts at the top. Our MD, Dean Posniski, is, uh, is, is passionate about people. Um, is, that helps. It helps enormously. Um, it actually makes my job much, much easier. Yeah. And, uh, and so it comes from the top. 
we are as much as we are focused and uh, and relentless and sort of driving forward uh, our revenues and and profitability and uh, growing audience but we always carve out time to work as a team so our our senior leadership team spend a lot of time together our our EMEA group cuts take the time and travel and so on to come together and spend a lot of lot of time um, not just talking about what's what are our objectives what's the next deal that's coming up but also to t take the time to talk about how we work together how do we want to uh, how do we want to grow the culture how do we want to develop our next layer of leadership and so I'm, I'm sure there's lots of complicated and, and whizzy ways of describing it, but I think it's about really just taking the time, making it a priority and, and, and walking the walk. I think that's sound advice. So obviously I'm here today at your office in Hammersmith. Um, it's a very gorgeous office. And I know that you're trying to, you move to kind of more agile working. Mm. Does that, what does that mean? Tell us a bit more about the office environment. Yeah, no, so we are, we're a joint venture between Hearst Group in the, in the US and Sky here in the UK. We're a 50-50 joint venture between those two companies. And so until a couple of years ago, we were based out on the Sky campus. Um, we got to a size and scale where we needed a bit more autonomy, a bit more independence. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to Hammersmith. Um, we we're very lucky in that the offices are rather beautiful um, and one of the big decisions that we had to make was how many desks do we want to put in there you know it's an obvious obvious question and we could have filled it with desks and everyone would have had their own desk but we decided to go to um, agile working um, where we have a ratio of about seven desks to every ten people so and and what that has allowed us to do is give us lots and lots of breakout space, lots of areas of comfy seating and fantastic reception area, which uh, also converts as a screening area, but also a reception um, area for some after work parties and drinks and so on. Um, and the, the agile working um, is, it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, there are plenty of people who would rather sit in an office. There are plenty of people who would want to, who would prefer to sit at the same desk every day. And and I can see how it makes managing a team. It's a challenge, right? You have mm -hmm. to make more of an effort if you're not sitting right under, you know, if you're not got your whole team sitting around you. But I think the the benefits that it bring outweigh the outweigh the the downside. And so. The creativity that it that it, that, that, it uh, that it drives that sort of buzz that it creates around the office, um, the, the the lack of silos that it, it definitely feel, we feel like we've got a company of one team more than I've felt anywhere else. Um, everybody knows everybody because they sit next to each other from time to time, and so um, that that mobility around the office I think. Uh, I think really helps um, really helps in many ways it's, it's, it's a very positive part of our culture yeah. as I say not everybody loves it and no. so you have to work hard at it and we've adapted and we've changed it quite a bit we've made a lot of um, uh, we've accommodated in, in, in numerous different ways since we first started so you don't get it right straight away 
but um, with a bit of effort and, and, and also working hard on communicating wh why we do it and how we think it should work um, has, has, I think, delivered results. Good. Um, so let's just now come away a bit from A&E networks and kind of in your view, what do you think are some of the challenges that we have in HR today? I think some of the challenges are sort of eternal. They are, they are the challenge of uh, you know, the war for talent was, I don't know, the 80s yeah. was that first mentioned. Um, diversity, my whole career, we've been talking about the challenge of diversity um, and being a more diverse uh, or being as div diverse as we possibly can. I think some the, the, what I would describe as the, the biggest challenge that I face, and probably it's an industry-wide thing, but I suspect it could be applied in any industry is is how do we how do we adapt and change when the thing that we're driving towards is still a minority so so what i mean by that is so if for us in television it's about it's about a, a shift to digital how do you get everyone focused on developing what our digital future is when 90% of our revenues still come from linear broadcasting yeah. And so the challenge isn't changing. And so I think when you see that what happened to the music industry, they had no choice. It happened so rapidly that they just got on with it and made the change and, 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 and made massive leaps. I think the challenge is, is really how do you change and continue to focus on your core? And so that, I would say, is the biggest challenge that we face. And, and, and I think that's a people challenge because yeah. it's about how do you make certain that you've got the right balance uh, of skill set within your workforce? How do you make certain that you are developing and training people to have new skills? How do you attitudinally make certain that everybody is embracing change and not freezing and fearful of, of, of the tsunami of change that is coming our way? So I would say that that's the, that's the biggest challenge that faces for my money, faces the industry generally, and, and I would say, therefore, it's, it's the biggest people challenge. Well, Carl, thank you. I think we've come to the end of, um, of our interview. That was really, really great to speak to you. And I'm sure some of our listeners will be kind of coming to you and asking how you won your awards and any other advice. But thank you so much for thank taking the time to do the interview. Thank you very much, Karen. A pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club.